Welcome to Sew and Tell, where sewists from fashion, theater, and indie sewing bring their different perspectives to the hottest topics in the sewing community. I'm Kate Zynard. And I'm Meg Healy. Today on the podcast, we have a very, very special guest, Julian Majewski. He's an art handler, an artist, a new embroiderer, and of course, he is also my husband. <laughs> we are going to chat about the crossover between sewing and the art world, including textile art, sustainability, and other fun topics that I'm sure will arise. So welcome, Julian. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, everybody. <laughs> yeah, welcome, Julian. I've never actually officially met you before today, so it's very cool. I'm nervous about listening to my own voice. I know. That's why I got nervous when you were started listening to episodes. I was like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a weird feeling. Yeah, it is a weird feeling. Um, but I from someone who listens to your voice all the time, I'm sure you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel more sorry for you. No, I'm just Uh, tell everyone what um, what you what you said to Kate when you first saw her on the screen. Oh, that I like the hair. Yeah, because <laughs> he's been listening Have to. Have people seen the hair? Have you released it? Uh, it's on Instagram. If anybody wants to see it, they haven't. I haven't done an updated picture, so they haven't seen it. Kind of faded out in pastel, like it is right now. Um, and I'm trying to figure out if I can get it uh, fixed up before. Uh, Socation, or if they're just going to see the partially grown out version. <laughs> well, I guess this episode will be releasing after Socation. Oh, so will it really? Sure we had so much fun, Kate. <laughs> oh my God. It was the best time, Meg. It was the best time ever. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, yeah. So should we, should we hop in? Yeah. Excited? Do it. Yeah. All right. So, Julian, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your many past career experiences uh-huh. in the art and textile worlds, and even some other jobs <laughs> that you've done in between. But you've done a lot. I'm sure you have an answer in mind, so you can poke me if I'm not going in the right direction. No. <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> I did an undergraduate in visual arts, and that's kind of standard experience for most of my opinion. I was a practicing artist for many years. Uh, got a lot of great opportunities. That's actually how I met Mark. Mark Meg. <laughs> oh, <laughs> get awkward. Tough, nervous. Awkward. <laughs> and Mark is name. Yes, husband's name is Mark. <laughs> and he and Julian well, have never met, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I did a lot of just, I don't know, arting around, I guess you could say. Um, I'm a big big fan of taking advantage of creative opportunities, like artist residencies, publications, chances to travel. And that's ultimately how I met Meg while doing a stint in New York for the Art Students League of New York. Um, Then I did my master's at OCAD in Toronto. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's really hard to, I feel like institutional art experiences are very um, perspective based. I feel like it's, I can't really tell anybody more than, I don't know, it's hard to put into words sometimes. But, <laughs> it's but hard, it, yeah, you, it's you hard get, to... you get out of it what you put into it. So I couldn't mm-hmm. necessarily tell you a plus B equals this because that's not the case for most people. 
Yeah, that's not the case for sewing either. But you had some like cool jobs. Well, that kind of all kind of overlapped like what we do too in terms of like you worked at that print shop. Like tell tell the audience about that. That was that yeah. was that was really fun. That's right. I was actually uh, reviewing my thesis publication, <laughs> just trying to get like re-familiar with the the framing of that. And I was uh, kind of laughing to myself about how a thesis publication can actually uh, come off smarter than you actually are. So it's like a little bit, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I don't even know what that word means anymore. But uh, um, a big part of my art practice and like within textile art as well and art at large, but I find like sculpture, textile, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot of based in material opportunities. So I was always interested in, I wouldn't necessarily say sustainable practices because I think at large, it is very hard to be sustainable. So I'd refer Mm -hmm. to it as a neutral and um, uh, a lot of it was about material opportunity, what is value, because uh, as some people may know, you see the Sotheby's art auction and artwork sold for $30 million. And at times, you're not that impressed uh, <laughs> by the aesthetic. <clears throat> but um, so for me, it was a lot of my thesis was about like, what is value and how do artists or creatives kind of create a perspective of value and how can that be harnessed for good, like for everyday use for people that don't even think they are creative. I think everybody has the ability to find that way to um, just engage with everyday materials in a new, in a new manner. So uh, to use the print shop as an example, uh, I was, when I was at OCAD, I was uh, felt so over stimulated by just, continually in-depth art talk that I just wanted a regular job to just talk about the weather and what's on TV and kick back with some friends. <laughs> so I was at the print shop and uh, like the, in the print shop in the print at large, and I'm sure you'd find the same with like quilting and sewing, but sometimes there are mishaps like materials come damaged or you mm-hmm. indirectly damage them by accident with embroidery. Say you put us, you know, you embroider something in the, not the, Oh yeah. Crest of your chest or something. Oh yeah. (laughs) I know all about that wrong placement. (laughs) So there was tons of, uh, tons of shirts and materials that would just get discarded. be referred to as lost inventory. And, uh, it, when I'd be begging up the lost inventory to kick to the curb for garbage day, that started to really, uh, intrigue me like in kind of sad, but it was like, how can this be, not what it is like how come we're so readily throwing away this material that's mm-hmm. seemingly okay it just has okay. a stain on it it was misprint got ripped when somebody opened the box with the box cutter yeah so i started saving the shirts and uh with the vinyl so for instance it's a it's like a fancy cricket machine for you create it's like a vinyl cutter <laughs> uh-huh. it's like yeah. a really fancy one yeah exactly yeah. no yeah. exactly yeah. And uh, so the thing is, like, if you're doing, say, the letter A, that's coming out of a solid block. So when you peel off to reveal the yeah. letter A, there's all this offcut that is therefore now waste. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started saving all these offcuts, just big garbage bags of them. I had garbage bags of offcuts, garbage bags of shirts. And uh, then I just started slowly overlapping them and uh, layering them up and the gist was not the idea that the shirt was a piece of art. It was that the the creative, um, the creative engagement is what kind of recontextualized these two bags of garbage into a product of creativity. So something that would have just 
gone to the landfill is now a you know an interesting monoprint with layers of color and uh yeah it's uh, it's too bad i don't like i'd hold one up but this is a <laughs> well, it, well we have so many no we have so many pictures i remember um because in your talk about at the you're like graduating show so each uh for your masters you have to do like a like an art show and you had all of these shirts like there was like hundreds yes i remember i was on tagging duty i was tagging them all and i was writing prices and he actually like sold a bunch like in this art show like so many like i'm wearing one right now and they are so so cool and we'll have tons of pictures in the show notes but it just shows like it, he used this as his sorry to speak for you but like oh, use this fine. as your kind of art show and you're selling clothes like you stole i was like i can't believe my like <laughs> you are selling like um, and people know like Toronto Kensington market, one of the galleries for the, uh, for the, uh, the school was there and I would be there on Saturday and people would come in and shop his shirts that he made. I was like, Hey, I'm supposed to be the one selling shirts. It was really cute. Though. <laughs> it was really nice though. Yeah. And it was actually funny in the sense of it's like within the research, like the simple sentence was the fact that somebody wants to now own this is yeah. success. Like it's right. It was just the fact that now people perceived it as having increased value. So it, they weren't seeing it as something that came out of a garbage bag and would have gone to a landfill. Right. They looked what? at it as this intriguing approach to waste material and recontextualizing our relationship with yeah. that object. Well, and something that would have um, been waste becomes art. I think that's that's fantastic. I I hate things like watching, you know, a perfectly good t-shirt get thrown away because, you know, it had yeah. like something because there was a a flaw in how it printed or something. And so I love the thought of taking all of those little bits of all those little bits of vinyl and all of those things that couldn't couldn't be sold and making something out of them. That's wonderful. Yeah, and a really good example is in one of the podcasts, uh, one of your old episodes I listened to, you're talking about like the no waste sewing. Mm -hmm. And it came up that one of you keeps their thread to pack pin cushions with. Like, that's oh, that's such me. A, well, that's <laughs> yeah. such a perfect example of kind of what my art practice was investigating. Like, it's just, yeah, you, find a way you to recontextualize your relationship with that, what would have been waste. Yes. Or and I don't hate. have to. You're artists. <laughs> I am an artist. And I don't have to sweep yes. up my thread ends. So it's a win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did so many thread picking up today because I was embroidering. Um, Julian helped me um, do some embroidery. I was, this was like, you know, when you start one and it's like four hours long, oh, I just yeah. took a bath. And I was like, Julian, can you just like check to see if like it's it's okay? <laughs> you know how much like little threads. Kind of like, we, right. we don't have kids, but in a way, it was kind of like you're watching TV and you're like, the machine's not making noise. Should we be worried? Like, <laughs> yeah. like go check the machine. Like, <laughs> go, go see if the bobbin's out. We hope the bobbin's out because yeah. that's the easy one to fix. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the. Yeah. You wish for the bobbin being out. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That was so funny. Like, what was a couple nights ago? And he's like, I don't hear it. It's it's not going. And he's, he's like, I'll go check on. <laughs> 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 that's so funny. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And that kind of leads me into talking about your kind of interest in when I started uh, interest in embroidery, when I started getting an embroidery machine through, you know, the connection at work and making more content um, and being more part of creative machine embroidery magazine. And with everything I do, um, you just became so fascinated with it. Like when I would sew stuff, you wouldn't really you would be interested, but not as what you would just stare at the embroidery yeah. machine. Well, it's hypnotizing. No, it's yeah. yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. And do you kind of see that as almost like a, like a printing tool? As if, remember at the print shop you had, it was it was like a printer that would print ink onto yeah, the, the shirt. Yeah, the garment printer. Essentially like a, you know, an inkjet printer, but the textile was the piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But I was all—I'm always into print media. Like I—I I did silk screening when I was younger and uh-huh. lithography and all this. So it's like sometimes the labor that goes into seeing the result—it's you're voided of that now, and you can almost get the instant gratification of just seeing your design just mm-hmm. pop up onto something, and wear it with pride. Uh-huh. Yeah. We have a um, 3D printer here, which is not working at the moment. But when it is working, I love watching it in the same way because it it functions in the same way as a, well, it yeah. doesn't function in the same way, but it almost functions in the same way as an embroidery machine. The little nozzle moves as opposed to on an embroidery sh- machine where it's the hoop moving and the needle staying the same place. And of course, with every uh, layer, it moves up a little bit, but the actual uh-huh. process, the, you know, X and Y axis, this is how you lay down this, um, this material is very similar to embroidery and it. I just, I think that's so fascinating. Yeah. And it's also the fact that technology wise now, it's like if you're getting into a layer of color that says like that layer is going to take two hours, you can now monitor the monitor it from your phone. You can go grocery yes. shopping. Like you're not like handcuffed to your studio. Like it's mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah. They're uh, up in the technology all the time. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, our friends used to make fun of Meg that like the machine makes the clothes for her. They're like, what do you, what do you even do? Embroidery and buttonholes, yeah. but you still have to put and it in the right position for the buttonholes. But yeah, that's the tricky part in getting the t- like stitching it out. Like sometimes it just does not work. It's not all the machine. Yeah, I'm I'm not much of a sewer, but I have done some sewing. I have this. uh pillow I made in middle school that I show Meg often to let her know <laughs> that I I quilted together the textiles. Impressive. But I, with my art practice, I've done some sewing as well. Like uh, I was working with this material called mylar. Mm-hmm. And uh, mylar, not to be gruesome, but it was essentially, it's like what um, essentially human parts are, transpl- are transported in. So if somebody's getting a new organ, it's typically in the cooler, but with mylar around it to help huh. as a protective layer. And I managed to gather a bunch from a hospital <laughs> and I made a tuxedo jacket out of it. So it was just very whimsical to kind of have a functioning coat out of something that is normally more of a, I, I don't know if it'd be gruesome, but yeah, it's just a more heavy uh, and you used a Berta pattern. I remember because yeah. he showed me when we first met, we were taught, like I was telling him what I did and he was telling me about the, so the tuxedo was pre, it was pre Meg too. And, and he showed me, I was like, that's a Berta pattern. Like that's the company that I work for. I was working at Berta at the uh-huh. time. So it was really funny. Okay. I have um, to no, ask yeah. though, I have to know, was this used Mylar 
or was it <laughs> that had not been used? Because that's really going to change how I feel about this project. Yeah. Well, to be honest, like I, I assume it probably was used, but very sterile. It's not like, it's not like a, you know, a liver was just in the bag and then they gave it to me. It was like the mylar would be one of 10 layers, like the outermost okay. layer for like UV protection and insulation. So all right. Were, all right. Um, you were reutilized. You were it was sustainable because they probably can't use it for another yeah. uh, transplant, yeah. but it, now it's a jack. Yeah. So you were putting another purpose to it after it had life doing what it was meant to function. To yeah. Do. And that's why I think a lot of us take a lot of pride in trying to have sustainable approaches yeah. to just our lifestyles mm-hmm. in general. But uh, that's why reading my thesis today, I remembered that I referred to it as like a neutral and I was like, Oh, that actually is more true. It's, I'm giving myself too much of a pat on the back. So it's not like I'm planting a tree for every sculpture I make. Or, right. you know, there's no way to really replenish those materials that we're using. And there's no way to avoid something inevitably becoming waste as right. much as we'd like to. But we can always uh-huh. do our best and try to find, you know, the pin cushions that we can stuff or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> or the tuxedo jackets we can make out of the organ wrapping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, we'll I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, no, I know there's a picture. I've seen that. We'll have to dig out that yeah. picture. And I yes. used the mylar for that music festival too. We made a big blimp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. Yeah, we use the mylar for that too. But the cool thing about mylar is because he had me working with it. I helped him on this um, art. Uh, what was it like? An art installation that you had. But mylar, you 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 fuse it together by ironing it. So yes. Yeah. So the seal is by an iron. So when you did your tuxedo, did you sew it or you ironed it? I did sew it and I wish I knew I could have ironed. Oh yeah. Yes. Because I'm imagining that mylar just rips super easy as soon as you put a hole in it. Yeah. Well, it looks like aluminum foil, but it's more, think like a chip bag. Like it's that type of material. Like you can rip it, but it's also like has some durability to it. Oh no, I'm I'm familiar with the existence of mylar. Actually, Meg, um, there are embroidery designs that are designed to showcase mylar. Um, you basically you embroider around it, and um, then the mylar becomes part of the embroidery machine, uh, or in part so it's of the like embroidery an design. It's like an applique. Yeah, it's like an applique. Yeah. And there's also this stuff called oh, I can't remember what it's called. Is it called angel hair or something? Something like that, but it's actually like really, really fine strips of mylar that um, that you oh. can kind of mix together or whatever. And then you, once you're done with whatever you're doing with it, you press it flat and it kind of fuses together. But you still have the look of the texture. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's not something we ever really feature in the magazine, but it's definitely a technique that's out there. Huh. I'm not, I'm, I'm having trouble envisioning this. So it's like the thread is thin strips of mylar. No, 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 no. Um, well, there are some embroidery threads that may actually be thin strips of mylar now that I think about it, the ribbon versions, but, um, Meg knows what I'm talking about, but no, it's Uh actually, um, you use it more like an applique, um, or I don't, I, I'm not an expert in this, but it, it is, it's just a whole bunch of thin, it's like, you know, that stuff that you stuff like an Easter basket with, 
if it's not like real grass, it's kind of the fake yes, grass. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of fluffy stuff. Yeah, but it but it's much finer. It's much thinner, and um, mm. you can take a clump of it and des- make a design or or whatever you want to do, and then iron it together, and then you can use it as an applique. Or I think that's generally what you do with it is use it as an mm. applique. But it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a neat technique. Gives it a whole little extra shine, and they have it in all sorts of different colors. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, then that kind of leads me into what I kind of wanted to talk to next, like using the embroidery machine to not only just adorn a garment, but to create like even like textile art that you hang. I remember when I first did that, um, the embroidery where I like digitize a picture on the wedding, I, I meant to like hang it on a wall and it's like, you could do like an art exhibit, like just doing really cool, like draw something and then digitize it. And for hang, like you could have an art show out of embroidery. And that just, I would have never thought of that until Julian brought that to my attention. How cool that is. Yeah. I think it'd be a great idea. It's something we should pursue for sure. Cause it's still like not a waste of time and it's a fun activity. Uh-huh. But uh, I always think about it in the sense of I was at a gallery and there's like these little postcard sized paintings and they're like photorealist paintings. But then as you got closer to them, say when you're within five feet, you realize I was actually stippling. So it's like when somebody just does a bunch of dots uh-huh. in various shades. But so I think a, a really good photo embroidery could have that look like somebody could think it's a painting at uh-huh. first. And uh-huh. then as you get closer, you're like, oh, my God, like. And then you trick the odd person into thinking you did it by hand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can stitch that regularly. Certainly I can. Textile Um, art's making a big, it's all the rage right now. Like when I was at Art Toronto a few months ago, it's like the. Oh, really? It's almost like it's, it's Toronto's big, big gathering of galleries. And it's international people from all over the place. And so many emerging artists were making textiles. It was. Oh. It was like a very obvious trend. It wasn't subtle. And I was very impressed. I have no idea how to even go about making. I, I, I don't even know what the technique would be. It was just, I was impressed. That's Not very really a good cool. statement, but. No, that's good. That's <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. I'm it's glad to, to hear know. that. Yeah. Kate, have you ever, I know you're probably the most experienced embroiderer um, here. Have you ever embroidered something for the pure fact of like art or hanging it up or just pure decoration, like not on a garment? Have you ever done that? Hmm. I'm trying to. I guess a pillow or something could be kind of more art as well. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I've definitely like, I've, I've embroidered some pillows and stuff um, when I was uh, basically as a, a, sample project for uh, one of our um, embroidery collections that we had. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my brain just went, Whoa. Um And it was, <laughs> it was actually really interesting because it was these huge, um, these huge flower uh, leaves, tropical leaves. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, there's like a month leaf. Yeah. There's, and it's, it's super pretty. And I was faced with, here is a like 20 inch square of linen that I need to embroider these on and I need to feature all of these leaves. How do I make this happen in some sort of reasonable way? So I ended up doing it. um, I put the stems on the outside and had everything kind of facing in and took the little ones and kind of sprinkled a few in amongst the big leaves. And I spent, I probably spent an hour sitting there rearranging templates, trying to make it look really pretty. 
Um, I mean, not like it's art art, but, you know, at the same time, you're trying to get it to have a, uh-huh. have a balance and, and look not, not too balanced, not too precise, but give it sort of a kind of a spirit, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, so certainly I've done some stuff like that. Um, I don't think I've ever just embroidered something to hang it on the wall, but I kind of want to now because so I am absolutely in love with uh, Urban Threads, um, which is a website that has just all sorts of super gorgeous stuff. And I've even downloaded a bunch of their, um, bought and downloaded a bunch of their designs. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm actually ever going to do with a, you know, a eight inch high Gothic unicorn uh, rearing up on its back legs. But come to think of it, why wouldn't I embroider that? Why wouldn't I put it? Uh, why wouldn't I just embroider it on a piece of fabric and put it in a frame? I mean, yeah. I don't know why I don't do that. So mm-hmm. I feel somewhat inspired though. I think that like pillows especially are a great way to, kind yeah. of showcase stuff that you really like and still feel like you're doing something like functional. Um, mm-hmm. Throw pillows, man. I've got way too many on my couch. <laughs> <laughs> a rabbit destroys pillows. I don't know what it is. He just gangs up on like one or two of them. Oh yeah. It's like you, yeah, you are like- my enemy. <laughs> I will destroy <laughs> you. The nibbles and all of the pillow corn. And then he like digs on them. And then I know it's so we can never have like good pillows on our couch. But it's nice that we can, now that we have a house, we have other places that he can't like get to with stairs. So we can have pillows there that he won't destroy. So on our main couch, it's like it's pillow destroys him. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, that is something I did not know about your bunny. <laughs> oh, yeah. And once you once you frame all those embroideries, you might you might become an artist for all you know. Just get the sewing noise behind you. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the cool things about my uh, about my embroidery machine, and I don't know if any of yours do this, Meg, but it actually comes with a a little tray that you can put in instead of the hoop and put some some artwork on it basically. And then the machine scans it and translates it to a uh, embroidery design. No. That is so cool. I have not even heard of that. Oh, yeah. Um, my my machine isn't even that new. It's from like, I don't know, 2016 or something. So like wow. all of the ba- all of the like newer high end baby locks do it as far as I know. Um, I've never actually tried it. I'm, a, I'm kind of afraid of it and I'm not much of a person who draws. So I don't really know where to get the kind of art that I would put on there. Um, I should make my husband draw something he likes to draw, but it's really cool. Yeah. And I keep meaning to try it and just chickening out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the app. Mine comes with an app. Um, I have um, the des- designer Sapphire, uh, the new, it's the late, one of the new Husqvarna Viking embroidery machines. And with their app, you can draw something on a piece of paper and then take a picture and then it kind of, it sends it to the machine and converts it into stitches, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's basically mm-hmm. the same thing. It's just with mine. Yeah. You scan it from a, a, a camera that's embedded in the machine. Oh, that's, that is so cool. I know. Yeah. Mm-mm. I've always wanted to like turn my 
fashion sketches into an embroidery design and hang those on the, instead of just sketching it. Like that's so cool. Like to actually be- use like the thread and then the color that I want to like sew it in. Like, wouldn't that be so cool? That would be gorgeous. I would love to see you actually do that. Yeah. Maybe I should. Yeah. Um, yeah At least give it a try. That, it, yeah. Cause you can sell them. I mean, it, it obviously if you're wanting to sell these as art, it has to be like an original, um, original drawing. Right. Uh, or, but so I think like a sketch or something would be so cool, but definitely like that could be, if, if I want to become an artist too, that could just be like my medium, my embroidery design. That would be so cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did anyone in your, you went to school with, was there anyone who did textile art, your fellow like classmates? Yeah, there, um, a few people, but, uh, one that really stood out was my colleague, uh, Miriam, uh, she did a lot of, she was sculpture and photography based and her whole thesis and research was around uh, burkas and kind mm-hmm. of what they mean as an object if you detach it from uh, the society and the values. Uh, so she would do some really, really cool stuff. She got like Swarovski crystals and just like head to toe a full burka. Like it, it, that's a <laughs> it, lot like, of crystals. <laughs> yeah, no, it was painstaking. Like, and that's kind of uh, uh I don't know. It's, I can't really speak to like the background of her practice, but it was very, very interesting. Like a lot of the, and that she was explicitly very textile based. Just, the, uh-huh. But I think uh, with the embroidery and stuff, like I always think of it as it's just up to you if it's going to be art or not. Like I yeah. used to always use the example of like, everybody knows the Warhol Brillo bar. I'd like to assume people are familiar with it to some extent. Mm. But it was like the Warhol's Brillo boxes. Like he just silk screened exact replicas of the Brillo boxes that you could have bought the equivalent of Walmart, you know, nowadays. But the only thing that made his art in the Walmart version of product at a grocery store was that he just used art theory to defend it. Like it, all it takes <laughs> is you just saying it's art. Like, and this is my vision. This is what I'm making. And if you think you can do better, then go do it. Like, I don't yeah. like it's fun. I love there's like a I, I don't know if it's a meme or something but it's an image that it, I think it's really old too I've seen it but it's it's like someone dropped their glove at an art gallery and everyone's stepping around they don't know if it's art or if it's just someone <laughs> dropped their glove and I just, yeah <laughs> no it's like and it's it's so true and it depends on the environment like when I was in art Toronto years and years ago I have friends of mine who are an art collective they got a free booth they're a very successful young art collective well they're my age but with respect to the art community, it was young. And um, he just, as a joke, like he was literally changing his bike tire and he hung the empty uh, broken inner tube on the wall, just just as a joke. And it kind of looked like a smiley face. Then where like the air went in, it looked like a little tooth sticking up. And uh, somebody walked up to him who worked for a financial institution and offered him to buy it for this amount. And it was a shocking amount. <laughs> and it wasn't even an artwork that was intended to be at the show. But it's <laughs> And like, it's, although you kind of want to shake your head and, but it's like, in a way, it's like kind of somehow this piece spoke to that that person at that point in their life. Like there was something that they were thinking about. There was some type of aesthetic that they had in mind and whether that was an artwork or not, like to them, it was it Mm -hmm. to them. It, it wasn't necessarily that's aesthetic. It's that it's intriguing and that it's thought provoking. And maybe 
maybe that inner tube hanging on the wall of a conference room provides more sincere discussions as to what it is versus a beautiful sunset over a hill like it. Mm -hmm. So you never know. Well, and I think I've always felt personally, and I mean, obviously I'm not lecturing you and like professional artists, uh, but I've always thought that a good part of uh, what makes art art is whether it evokes an emotion, um, which means that sometimes a glove that's dropped in an art gallery can be art, even if it was just a dropped glove, because if it's making you if it's making you feel something, then it is art in its own way. Yeah. I used to say this often, especially gearing up for when you'd have to defend your art. But if you have like a panel of judges, like the one example I used to always say is, uh, say they had seven artists and they all drew the, they all, they said, draw a pie. Okay. Like it's just a picture of a pie, like a beautiful picture of a pie, seven different pies. But as the judge, if you had one judge looking through them all, or if it was me, not a judge or something, but you'll find your own way. It's like, say there's seven pies, largely no difference, but then you can tell that one's an apple pie and the other's a rhubarb. Then you may think back, oh, my mom or my grandmother made the best apple pie. Like I, and then you start to, ref- and then it's like, I like that one more. And you may not know that that's why you're choosing it, but we do have our own mm-hmm. like subconscious triggers as to what makes us value something. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh I think about that even for sewing too. And I'm, if you make something or you choose two fabrics going together in the same way or use this fabric for something. And then, you know, I feel like you have to defend it when you're like, Oh, I made this. And then you're like, Oh yeah, no, I just thought like I would just do this. And then like, you're always, it's like, I don't know. You should just sew it because you like it because you know, it provokes that emotion. But I feel like that when I look at fabric too, it's like art to me, you know, some just like, speak to you more and like you just have to have it and then um everything like that yeah for Mm -hmm. sure and and different things talk to different people in different ways I mean um I don't think you and well you and I are fairly different in our fabric choices um but not (laughs) not to the extent that say you and I are different from Amanda because you know the bright colors they don't they don't speak to her she likes the neutrals she likes the blacks yep and um, I tend to stay away from those kinds of colors. Um, it's just not okay. how I want to dress myself. I like, I yes. like having color on my body, and so, uh-huh. um, and, and I mean that's straight up. What kind of fabric we like is just very different because we're very different people, but we get along great. So you know, it's not the <laughs> fact that the fact that we don't like the same kind of fabric has nothing to do with our relationship. It's just who we are. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder, like, I know Meg, I've, I've probably never even asked you, but Meg's first large endeavor after she graduated was uh, doing leggings, like working with spandex. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Megan's leggings. <laughs> what what drew you to spandex? Because the colors, you just think of spandex and you just think of, lot, like, I've always loved lime green. You think of lime green, neon, like, just, uh, that's what drew me because it was you can find more readily available like neon wovens, but I feel like back there was those really neon fluorescent, mm-hmm. you know, retro fabrics and prints were in spandexes. Yes. And I loved them. And I, and I also loved leggings. I mean, um, they're just so comfy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's what really drew me them was the, the prints of the available fabrics that are suitable for leggings and mm-hmm. paneling them all together. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's interesting. I have I never really thought about why leggings. It's yeah, it wasn't just because I. I, I don't think my love of leggings was the reason. It was kind of my love of the fabric that leggings are made of. I, I remember my like logo was like the next generation of spandex. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to ask, oh. what, what year was this happening? Do you remember? Oh, this, this was like 2009 or so. Okay. And they're like, yeah, around then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just somehow yes. felt so 90s to me. I was, but I was like, they couldn't possibly be. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Since, yeah. Considering I was born in 89, I would have had to start really young. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it was basically where but my mind went. Yeah. No, but being, I mean, I grew up uh, as a dancer and mm-hmm. I had so many experiences with bright, like, I remember my favorite costume. We did a dance to Mambo number no. five and we were like, even we went into a competition with it and we got on TV, but it was like this little unitard and it was lime green with black polka dots and I had fringe on and I was just so, I loved it so much. <laughs> like, oh, it was, it was very cute. It was funny because there was like five of us in the dance routine and there was, um, two pink and three lime green. And it was just so funny. Like my love of lime green is already known. We're like, well, we have to work around the formation because we know Meg has to be in the lime green one. (laughs) Because it was every other one. (laughs) It was really funny. (laughs) It's kind of sad to think of like, uh, but when you think of spandex pants and stuff now, you just think of the black generic ones. It's like, it's sad. What happened to that pop of color? That Yeah. Maybe it's a nostalgic thing for us because we, you know, weren't born in the, we weren't alive enough in the nineties. You know, I was one years old for the tail end of it, but no, you're talking about the eighties. Oh, the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, then I think about the nineties with like the jumpsuits and like, you know, I remember having crazy colored windbreakers and oh, stuff, I but you'd never those. find yeah. that anymore. No, absolutely not. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you about uh, yes. my favorite, uh, which was when we were doing a dance to the Tiki Bird song from Disneyland. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. And there were 18 of us, at, or no, 16 of us, I think. And we had we had eight colors, and and we had two of each, two of each color. Yeah, and then so everybody got a pair of like um, mid calf length leggings and then a leotard and we all had different color combinations and then we had um sparkly little uh like sequin belts that had um that had colored uh handkerchiefs basically little pieces of chiffon hanging off of them and then uh boas in a third color which then matched the um the big ostrich feathers in her hair and mine was a pink leotard with purple pants, which was not actually what I wanted, but in the end, I was pretty <laughs> pleased with. I mean, pink and purple, that's like your hair. You would imagine I you with your hair and in that color. You want to know outfit. something funny? My boa was blue. Yeah. <gasps> wow. But it wasn't teal. And I think there was actually a teal in that. I had the darker blue. But um, I hadn't ever, I hadn't thought about that. I had no memory of that. Uh, but yes, I guess I've always been a bit of a pink and purple girl. Yeah. What's your favorite color, Julian? Oh, that's a tough to say, to be honest. <laughs> I think I'd say I'd go out there like a seafoam green. 
Ooh, oh, like a like a mellow pastel mint mm, kind of color. Yeah. Like, I feel like I can smell it when I see it. It's like minty. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Ellie, it's in the green family, which is that's okay with me. <laughs> yeah. And it's a pretty color. <laughs> I like I like textures though. Like I like I like plywood grains. I like there's you know, it's I don't know. It's hard to choose a color especially with the house now i find that's what kills me when we were at the loft and we were renting and we were free to paint yeah i'd be so gung-ho to paint a wall lime green and the kitchen floor is purple (laughs) but now with the house it feels like such a like you have to like slap my hand and just like oh i don't know like but it's it's weird that it's like why i don't know but my relationship with this space is different than in the loft and that's something very interesting to consider and i don't understand why and it's um, like, how come my personality can't be as bright in the house as it was in the loft? And, you know, how come we can't have a pink house? You know, just the one pink house on the street. <laughs> I would love it. Like, well, let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's a little oh. different when you own it. And I think it's a little different yes. when it's <laughs> big. Um, because I feel like when you've got a lot of space, then it's like, well, yeah, I could paint. It's like, it's not just painting a wall lime green. It's painting a room lime green. Or I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe I'm insane. I don't know. That's my best guess. <laughs> yeah. We'll just have to do some um, embroidery art. I want to do like yes. a huge embroidery. Like, that would be so cool. We should um, look around and establish where we want to do some art. Yeah, I have and- fleeting thoughts about that too. I think the framed, the framed <laughs> embroidery, I think it's going to be, I keep thinking, cause it's like, what do you embroider? Right. Like, I think it's uh, like, when you look at the pre-programmed embroidery, it's very like, not, I don't want to say like childish, but it's very like youthful and like cartoony. And, and like, uh, are you talking about like the, mach- the, the like, designs that are on the machine, yeah. like programmed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like for instance, it was funny. Cause I think it, uh, for Meg, I helped, try to design some mushrooms for like the embroidery and like Meg was showing me the like the very popular mushroom embroidery designs they're just classic you know red mushrooms with the white dots Mm -hmm. and then I was doing ones where like at a mushroom that was like Marilyn Monroe and like the wind was blowing up like the bell of the, and they're like holding it down. Another of like, you know, a mushroom bent over mooning. And she's like this, she's like, this just won't work. Like, you can't, it's like, why can't it? Like, why not? Like what's wrong with the nude that's, mushroom? That's like, okay, Julie, we'll, we'll embroider you a nude mushroom uh, frame. <laughs> yes, we can make that into art, but yeah, it, 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 it tends to be a bit conservative when it comes to how, how, uh, the like the basic embroidery designs go because you know you're kind of looking for for sort of general interest and yeah yeah. um but you should you should look at uh urban threads because it's a little a little edgier some of it's very cute but they've got some they've got some neat stuff on there yeah okay Um, i will and that's why it's so cool how like these technologies you said, Kate, how you can scan in and the apps like you it's it's feel like it's more accessible and easier for just kind of the everyday embroiderer, not like an embroidery designer to right. make their own designs. I feel like when I first got my embroidery machine, like six years ago, I that wasn't even a pop in my mind. I'm like, if it's not on the machine, I don't know how to do some right. new, like fonts. But now it's like I can't it you don't have to have like really high-end software. You can use 
kind of machine functionalities too, which is, it's, it's really cool. I keep thinking it'd be fun to do like famous memes as with embroidery, like just to step away from like the cartoony and stuff. Like, you know, like that one of like the little girl sinisterly smiling as like a building's burning behind her. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that could be, that could be very fun. (laughs) I've got all these ideas now. I know some experiment. It's just all the threads that you need, right? It's just when you get into those big kind of um, big pieces or with art, it's just like thread. And if you need all the different um, shades of one color and all that stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interdisciplinary. We're kind of uh, rub off on each other slowly. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, how can an embroidery become a sculpture? Like, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we still need, you should focus on the baseboards around the house first. (laughs) (laughs) Our cross the street neighbors, they told us they didn't have baseboards for three years. So so I'm doing all right. My renovations are pushing along. I've just been waiting for summer. I want to be painting in the backyard in a t-shirt, not in the winter in my garage. Yeah. My, uh, we we're missing a, a, a small section by our dishwasher of a quarter round, um, on the floor. And, we we did that upgrade about I don't know eight years ago. So you're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. And I actually I didn't tell you, but I have baseboard coming Friday. You do? Yeah. Wow. Surprise. My live reaction. Yeah. <laughs> 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 spoil your wife with baseboard once in a while. Yeah. Wow. What a weekend treat. I can't. <laughs> 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 oh well. Yeah. On that, thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, so. well, now actually, I well, I thanks for this conversation. I want you to stick around because before we recorded, he goes, "Do I have to say my sojo?" And I was like, "Yes, you do." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also like, I don't know. I just I feel like it's like meeting your heroes right now. Oh. I feel so nervous. Oh. I, I was thinking to myself before, and I don't drink coffee, but I was like, if there's any time I would. I probably should have before this. It's just like a gloomy, rainy day. It's hard. You guys are so, it's just remark. Like, do you ever have times where you're like, I'm just like not feeling it. And we're not going to record. Or are you like TV personalities? Just like, hi. To be honest, we sometimes get on and we're like, uh, I am not feeling yeah. it today. And then yeah. we usually have a little session where we complain about things in our lives. And then we get all perked up and feel better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have lots of energy. <laughs> yeah. I know there have definitely are those days where, you know, you're just not feeling. And then it's kind of just as soon as I pop on with everybody and I feed off of, um, you know, the energy yeah. and it's just, I, yeah, we do but very I always much. have to remind myself. Yeah. Just always remember how you feel after recording an episode, mm-hmm. because after you just filled with ideas and inspiration and you're, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you feel like you've had just a really fun, productive conversation and learning new things. And I always, before, if I don't feel like it, just say, remember how you feel after. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, we definitely that. feed off of each other. Meg especially yeah. always brings such good energy. She always, uh, she always makes it easier <laughs> for me to be perky. <laughs> <laughs> oh Yeah, well, why don't we just take a quick break and then we'll hop into our Sojo. And then we have... Um, a uh, listener answer to our question um, that was on our So Business episode as well. Ooh. 
All right. Welcome back. It is now time for our Sojo segment, our favorite segment where we talk about what's giving us our sewing mojo. Um, I'll be nice. I won't put Julian on blast right away. Uh, Meg, <laughs> what's your Sojo? Um, well, I'm currently gearing up. I fly out next week to occasion, even though when this airs, I've already had such a great time. And hopefully my Sojo is already complete and <laughs> I've used it a lot, <laughs> but, um, I just need, I had to discard of like my old, like I love wearing a robe, but like every morning I get and I put on a robe and I stay in it. And it's just, it's, I just love a home robe and I've been needing a new one. My other one, um, it was just a little too short anyway. And it was pilling and it was, the sleeves are too wide because I like to do dishes in it. So I just, I want to make a new home robe and I could see how it could be appealing in the hotel room too. Just something to like mm-hmm. throw on in the morning and just, you know, after a long day, just, you know, get in the robe. And, uh, my cousin delivered, uh, this, these vintage, um, bed sheets from like the family Healy cottage. And they're so, like, these sheets are so old and there's so, this, this one floral retro and I just love it. And I want to make like a robe in it that, um, caters to my needs of like, I don't need the big wide sleeves. They don't get wet and like long with pockets and just, I need to make one of those. Cause I can just see me needing one in the, in the hotel, um, mm-hmm. and just like for every day. So that's, I want to make that in addition to the million camp shirts that I'm making for my course. <laughs> but that's one thing I really want to accomplish before I leave. That sounds lovely. Yeah. I bet the old sheets are real soft. Yeah. They're kind of just like that cotton that's been washed a million times and they're so soft. I'll put a picture of the print in the show notes. Cause it's like, it's like so retro. It's, I <laughs> love it so much. Yeah. Awesome. And it, I'm like, these just can't be bedsheets. This needs to be like, I'm wearing a bedsheet. That's kind of what I was like. I need to make a robe in it. So it's like wearing, wearing bedsheets. <laughs> nice. All right, Julian, how about you? Do you have a Sojo for us? I feel like I already leaked mine. I think it's, I'm going to be trying to turn some famous old memes into embroidery. I think that's, I think oh, I'm nice. stick with that idea. I think on a more sincere uh, kind of intrigue and uh, aesthetic that I've been pondering is now that we have, like, you know, we're out of the city, we have a house with trees and birds. I've been watching birds make nests and I find it to be amazing. <laughs> I, don't, it, I think it's something people take for granted, but watching a bird, like, in luckily there's one right outside our window with these two robins just starting from the single stick up to a finished nest. I, I'm so impressed. And it's the process, maybe, because it's like, we all know what a bird's nest looks like. But, yeah. You know. I know you pointed it out to me, and it's actually, it was so perfectly shaped. I, you just think it's this kind of just mess of yeah, twigs and stuff. Oh. It's so cute. And uh, speaking of which, I forgot what? to say, I'll have to send it to Meg. She can send it to you. But uh, my friend sent me this video on Instagram. And there's these birds that actually sew leaves together. <gasps> like they poke oh. little holes through the leaves and they weave thin bits of the leaf and they create a basket to hold their nest. Wow. Yeah, I'm yeah, no, see that away. video. That's yeah, so cool. cool. Wow. <laughs> awesome. I just, next week, I just see Julian make a <laughs> huge bird net and go, look at my tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a I feel like a a big person sized nest filled with pillows. Like 
in oh that would be super in like a family room could be a great like hangout spot i don't know yeah i know and i was thinking i was watching them fly around collect material to build the nest and i kept thinking it's like what if i threw some of meg's like scrap fabric out there next thing you know like i'm playing a hand and like the coloration of oh, this God. bird's nest. Like, you know, they're subconsciously like we're creating art together. Oh, <laughs> I think that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I, the things you think about. I just... <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. What about you, Kate? What's giving you your sojo this oh, week? Oh, I have been working on some, uh, I've been working on some stuff for so my little my little mini capsule for socation, um, and I mm-hmm. think I'm done with the tops, and I just need to make one pair of pagosa pants, um, and then I will be good to go. So that's where I am right now. I am also working on something for my mother in law's best friend for her birthday. So we'll see which one takes precedence. I don't know what's going to happen next, but one or the mm-hmm. other. For me, it's always the gifts after I finish. <laughs> well, the, birth- the birthday does come after Sopation, so there is a oh, very no. logical reason to do it that way. Yeah, there. Yeah, it's. I think we know the answer. No. <laughs> but I'm still I, waiting on Meg to make those fur coats for our snowmen next year. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny when I, all these things I promised making. I didn't think he'd ever listen, and he's listening. He's like, "You promised to make all." Next year, oh, no, next no. year I'll have time to actually sew Christmas decorations. Things or, things well. that we say on the podcast are never promises. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. They're mostly just inspiration. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's also uh, answer a quick listener question. This was from our uh, SoBiz episode. And we asked, what's your favorite pattern mm-hmm. hack? And I'm going to say Emeranza says pockets if a pattern does not have pockets i will put them in i cannot wear pants skirts or a dress without pockets it's just not possible plus i think they're fun to do and i hear you i love it every time i make something with pockets in it yeah yeah i put an inseam in a no no i put a pocket in an in like in a seam not on the inseam that would be yeah that would be inseam. really awkward <laughs> Oh, in the seam pocket mm-hmm. on like a shirt dress yesterday. And yeah, so satisfying. Um, I love pockets. pockets I find pockets are such a struggle. It's always like I have pairs of pants, so they're still in perfectly good condition, but the pocket rips. Mm-hmm. And uh, Meg always says it's so hard to retroactively fix a pocket. Is that true? Or is she just <laughs> lying to me? <laughs> No, but these are like jean pockets. And like, I've already sewn them up three times and I just have to put it in a new pocket pouch. Well, you put, you stuff too much stuff in your pocket. I guess it's different for um, men. Well, uh, because you don't carry a per. You should like carry a, you should have a little bag that you put stuff in. I remember before I met Meg, I had this coat I liked a lot and the pocket ripped on it and I turned it inside out and I used a stapler. I stapled (laughs) the pocket back shut. To this day, the staples are still in that coat. Nice. So, I mean, I think the solutions right there, you can just Staple get the stapler. Yeah. Well, when Meg told me she couldn't fix a pocket, I had like the fuzzy fabric sunglass holder. Like I was going to like hand stitch that into my pocket. Like I was trying <laughs> to think of like 
pre-existing pocket esque things mm-hmm. that I can that I can just kind of shove in there. Yeah. Well, so, some uh, some companies make like basically. Oh no, those are just patches. I take it back. Forget I said anything. Um, oh, the patches. Yeah, yeah. like holes into. Yeah. Yeah. It, it. I mean, it really comes down to how badly it's ripped and where the rip is. Um, and it sounds like these have gone through several iterations. So it's probably to the point where it's unfixable. I yeah. trust Meg to know. Um, yeah. You should maybe rotate your pants a bit. You wear one pair of pants every day for like three months. And then he has so many pants. He just keeps wearing the same pants over and over and over. Well, I mean, when you love your best pocket pants. talk be very triggering. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, and I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, how come the inside of your jeans pockets aren't made of jeans? How come it's a lesser material? You know what? They're... Like, shouldn't your pocket be a more durable material than the pant itself? Because like. <laughs> It's the pants are just on my legs. They're not carrying my stuff. Do, do you want a legitimate answer? <laughs> yeah. Give it to us straight, Kate. It, <laughs> it's because it's probably because of bulk. Because yeah. jean pockets are really bulky and the more seams you have, the more bulk you have. And they would just stick out and you'd ruin the line of your jeans if you uh, mm. made your pockets out of denim. Uh, not that some people would care about that, but I guess jean manufacturers do. It's also my fault for buying poor quality jeans, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one day I'll make you those pants I promised you 10 years ago. It'll happen. <laughs> and I'll do inner inner denim pockets. Even if the outside of the pants aren't jeans, I'll do jean <laughs> pockets. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. I just want to put Meg through it, like just like cargo pants, zip off legs. Like oh, just, I, I want, yeah. I want every pocket, every zipper, just to and just to put her through it. Denim. <laughs> yeah, nice. and just but you like suspenders too. I can put I some suspenders on it. Okay. Yeah, suspenders are liberating. I only tried them recently, but I like them. Well, on that note. <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Julian. It was really yes. fun having you. I think you'll have to be our guest in our pocket episode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll learn all about how to uh, make your pockets last longer. Yes. Yes. Sure. Um, and what does and does not fit in a pocket. We can do pocket tests or ability tests. Yeah. Like that science show. Are they like... Mythbusters. We actually talked about doing sewing Mythbusters last episode on the sewing silliness because we were talking about machine sewn buttons versus hand sewn. And we were going to do a te- like a pull test. And so now we have like one episode down. And now we have the pocket episode down. So I think we need to make this happen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but I uh-huh. want to be in charge of sewing on that hand sewn button. Okay. <laughs> we'll, tra- we'll do all at location. One of the, during maybe the sip and sew, we can. We'll, we'll, hand, we'll have a button off and, and we'll <laughs> see how many people it takes to rip the button off that we both sew. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun. Yes, it will have. I'm sure it was fun. I'm sure it was. Fun. It was super fun yeah. and it was super great to see you in person, Meg. It was so great to see you. Um, <laughs> and those margaritas were so good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've just been waiting so long to have another margarita with you, Meg. 
<laughs> I know it's been so long. I know, Julian. I expect lots of embroidery art when I get home. All hung up. Yeah. I'm excited to see uh, the baseboards up. Uh, no, I'm just, you know, I'm only <laughs> gone for a bit over a week, so. <laughs> no, I probably will get a lot done when Meg's not home. I just sit in the dark and silence. And just wait for her to come back to me. <laughs> yeah, you'll have Bubby. Uh, speaking of Bubby, it's it's almost his dinner time, and he's looking at us. So, all right. Uh, so we should probably wrap it up. Is what, what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, right. we have a hard time ending the podcast as you probably listen. Yeah, We're like, like yes. I'm finally awake. Oh, I'm, <laughs> all right, Julian. Yeah, next- let's just get this pocket episode over right now. Let's do a double header. <laughs> Oh, see how we see how we, what we mean yeah. when it's after you record. It's just so yeah. much fun. It was nice being on, and like in all sincerity, like uh, I always felt a little guilty for not listening to the podcast as much. So I like to be as supportive to my partner as possible, and uh, even for somebody that doesn't know how to sew, I find the episodes very inspiring. Like your oh. guests are very talented, and the way it's sometimes it's like how they got into sewing in general is yeah. very interesting, mm-hmm. apart from what they're actually doing. So I do look forward to listening to more episodes besides this one that I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for saying that. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again for joining us, Julian, and all of our wonderful listeners. And uh, until next time, happy stitching. Happy stitching. Can I say right now? Happy stitching. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. For links to everything we talked about in this episode, go to our show notes page at sodaily.com slash sewandtell. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at sewandtellpodcast at goldenpeakmedia.com or visit us on Instagram at sewandtellpod. Answer the Sew and Tell question, tell us your sojo, or just leave us some feedback. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. And please leave us a review, ideally a good one, because that helps listeners like you find our podcast. And tell your sewing friends about us, too. Thanks for listening, and happy stitching. Sew and Tell is a Sew Daily podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. It's hosted and produced by Meg Healy, Amanda Carestio, and me, Kate Zeinard. Daisha Clay is our producer. Director of podcasts is Jared Mayer. Tiffany Warble is director of content. Kelsey Ratterman handles our marketing. And Andrea Lotz does all things digital. If you'd like more information on sponsoring or advertising on So and Tell, go to goldenpeakmedia.com. <laughs>